You're listening to the Journey to Launch podcast, financial motivation and wealth building with Ash Cash. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 journeyers. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast. Buckle up, get in the rocket. We are taking off. Today, I have a special treat every week. Have you noticed that every week is like literally a special treat for you? I mean, come on now. I love bringing you content that is going to motivate you, keep you encouraged, and give you the real, like the real on what you need to do to reach all your financial goals and life goals. I always say it's not about the money. I know the money is important. So definitely not saying the money isn't important, but it's by focusing and improving all the other areas in your life, like the, especially your mentality, right? And how you keep encouraged on this journey, that's really gonna get you to the finish line. And that's why I love talking to people like Ash Cash. He is the dubbed financial motivator. And you'll hear it when he talks. Like I was even, you know, I'm already a motivated person, but after speaking to Ash Cash, I was like, yes, I can do this. <laughs> We're gonna do this, journeyers. So let me just tell you a little bit more about Ash Cash. And before I do, if you want any of the episode show notes, this is episode 115. You can go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 115. So there, anything that Ash Cash talks about, if you want to connect more, more with him, you can go there. But Ash Cash has a, an extensive history in the financial education and services industry. You'll hear, I feel like he's worked at every financial institution <laughs> as he talks about it. And he has a real life, just relatable story about his own personal finance journey and how he now has turned what he's learned to teaching others. And he really is a financial motivator. So you're in for a treat here. Now, what I do really like about Ash Cash is not, he, he doesn't only talk about money. He talks about the psychology behind money and behavior with personal finance. So if you are enjoying this episode, do me a favor and screenshot it. So however you listen, take a screenshot and tag me. I'm at Journey to Launch on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, but I usually hang out on Instagram. So if you're on Instagram, make sure you're following me and then tag Ash Cash. So he's on Instagram also. And that way, like he can see your feedback and what you loved about the episode. And as always, continue to share this with your family and friends. If you know that you have someone in your life that needs to hear this message, that needs to get on the journey with you, send them this episode, send them this podcast, send them to Journey to Launch dot com slash episode 115. Okay, now without further ado, let's hop into this conversation with Ash Cash. Okay, journeyers. Yes, Ash Cash, we're starting. <laughs> we, well, I'm excited to have this conversation with Ash Cash Exantis and we'll We'll go in a little bit about your background, but I just want to give a little bit of just history with us. I was saying before I pressed record that you are the one of the first people that interviewed me on your radio at a radio show in New York City. And that was pretty cool because, you know, now I'm like, this is what I do. Like I interview people now. And so it was kind of cool going to like an actual radio station yep. and interviewing with you. So we can kind of get into that. I'm sure you're going to like touch upon like that part of your your background in your career as like being a radio host. But I just want to first welcome you to the show. I'm super happy to have you here. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited. 
All right, so Ash Cash, you're from Harlem. Yes, born and raised, yes. Right, right. And so I'm a New Yorker. I mean, I was, I'm a Jamaican, but I'm, at yes. the end of the day, I was born and raised in Brooklyn. Yes. So I love speaking to people who actually like, you know, especially like that New York feel, just because I feel like, one, I just like relate to you guys a lot more. And I just love what you're doing in the personal finance space. And I love that you're making it just accessible and relatable to people who look like us, to people who want to understand more how they can get their finances in order. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But can you tell me a little bit about like how you came into the personal finance space? Because you could have took a lot of different routes, right? Like what made you really get into this space? Um, as honestly, uh, the grace of God, and I'm not even trying to be like super religious or anything like that, but you know, I grew up in Harlem, like you mentioned, I grew up in, in, in St. Nicholas projects on 29th Street and 8th Avenue, you know, as, as any typical person growing up in an urban environment, I had my share of nonsense, kick, you know, kick, getting kicked out of school and all the stuff that you shouldn't be doing. And literally, uh, and I remember this, I, it was my seventh, I was, I was about to turn 17 I, or I just turned 17. Um, and a friend of mine was selling drugs and he was making a lot of money. So he was, he was 17 as well. Um, and I remember he had a, he had a, a, a dark green Tahoe. And at the time, like Tahoes were like these big trucks that attracted all the ladies. And it was like what, what was in at the time. And so he's 17, he has the Tahoe, he's dressed fresh. And I'm looking like, I want that too. Um, and, and so I started to think about that journey, like, man, I want to potentially sell drugs because I was, you know, I played basketball. Um, but I was like, I'm not, I'm not making any money playing ball. So I'm like, you know what? I might dibble and dabble in this drug thing. Um, my, my sister and I had, have a, you know, really close relationship. Um, and so she was, was, was an assistant manager at Blockbuster Videos at the time. Fast out to Blockbuster Videos. And she and her and I, her and I almost had a fight, like a physical fight, arguing because I was telling her the direction I was going to take. Um, and so, long story short, she wound up saying, "If I could get you a job at the video store, would you forfeit, you know, this idea of doing the wrong thing?" So I was like, "Yeah, if you give me a job, then I'll do it." Um, and so she wound up getting me a job at seventeen at the video store, which at the time I was only supposed to be working like one day because I was still in high school or whatever the case may be. Luckily, because of her connections, they, you know, they had, they didn't mind me working, you know, the night shifts. So I worked like four days. So I was making decent money. Um, and then, you know, within a year, I want to say a year and a half, I got promoted to assistant manager. And one day, one of the assistant managers came in and she was working two jobs. She was working at Chase Bank at the time. And uh, so during the day she was working at Chase and then in the evening uh, she was working at Blockbuster Videos. And one day she came in and said, hey, my job, my day job is hiring for tellers. And so, you know, if anybody's interested, just give my name, go down there. Um, and so, I, you know, I was like, man, there's, you know, I can't really go that far, you know, working at a video store. So I said, let me try this teller thing because I can make more money. And the rest is history. I, you know, I was uh, I was 19 years old when I got the job as a teller at, at Chase Bank. Um, and that opened up my eyes to everything. It opened up my eyes, you know, growing up low income. I now had access to wealthy people like like to be able to take transactions and to see a balance and e even to see a balance of one hundred thousand dollars or or twenty thousand dollars at nineteen was a big thing for me because I've never, you know, I was never, I never saw that much money in one time, you know. 
Um, and so I, you know, I it started opening my eyes. And then from there, I mean, the rest is history. I, you know, I did, yeah, I did everything in, in, in banking, teller, personal banker, private banker, branch manager, CEO of a credit union, uh, decided that in 2008, 2009, I didn't love banking anymore because of the pressure they were putting on us um, from the Great Recession. Uh, you started to volunteer to uh, to teach financial education in high schools, fell in love with, with teaching financial education. And so, you know, Oprah says, find something you love and then figure out how to make money from it. And and here we are today. Yeah. Okay. So shout out to your sister. Yeah. Uh, because I feel like that's what a lot of, you know, like kids need. Like, you know, a lot of times you are faced with this decision and sometimes it's just like one decision and like, because they're, they're decision trees, right? Like one decision then leads you to the an- an- another set of decisions. And then before you know it, you're kind of like deep in this like rabbit hole of mess. So shout out to your sister um, for looking out for you in that way. And then what I really love is that, you know, for a lot of, um, people for especially like youth in the inner city, what they need to see is just an example of something like they need that seed to be planted and not just kids. I think this is just anyone because there's so many things that like, we don't know what we don't know. So we don't even know to look out for it. So I think it's pretty cool that like, because you were a teller, then you realize, wait a second, like not only like the drug dealers and like the people on the street have money. Like there are people who are legit that are making money that have money and I think that's pretty cool. And that's kind of, I think, the basis of what you're doing for people and what I'm doing is just like, I want to plant the seed that, do you understand like what you can create, the kind of, you can live a, 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 a nice life and make good money and, and be wealthy, mind, body, spirit, all those things if you work at it, right? So we're going to talk a little bit about that. So let's kind of go back. So you mentioned you have, you had your, a lot of receipts for like some of the jobs that you did. So it, it primed you really well to like be a personal finance expert, but you mentioned that you were a uh, credit union. You you worked at a credit union or you managed one. Yes. What was that like? Because was this like a new, you said it was a Queensbridge housing credit union. Yeah. Like what was your primary role there? And was it mostly to like help people like with the basic finance stuff, like just opening accounts and budgeting or how was that? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, at the time I was working at Citibank at the time as a branch manager uh, and I met Bishop Taylor, who runs the Urban Upbound uh, nonprofit organization in Queensbridge. Uh, and 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 for those who don't know, Queensbridge is actually the largest housing projects in the in the uh, I want to say in the world. Uh, I was gonna say in the country, but it's it's ninety buildings, like ninety buildings, like worth of public housing. And so I I want to say the world, but I know for sure it's in the U.S. And going there, a lot of the work that they were doing. In Queensbridge, there were you know they didn't have access to banks. There was it was a, a bank desert, um, and so a lot of people went to the check cashing places. A lot of people went to the pawn shops to conduct financial transactions. Uh, and so Bishop Taylor had the vision of opening up a credit union uh, to provide services, lo, you know, uh, low fee services to the community. Um, and so I was the CEO of the of of the credit union, and so I ran everything from sales operations, uh, everything. You know, I was I was a teller there too. Uh, you know, I I cleaned, you know, I mopped up at night. You know, so I I pretty much did everything, and it was it it was a great experience because I already had the experience of running a financial institution because even though I worked at the Chases and the and the City Banks and the Bank of Americas and things of that nature. As a manager, you run your own PL for that center. Um, and so in essence, I was running a mini brand or, or mini 
credit union when I worked at these larger financial institutions. And that's what the idea was, to take all of the information that I learned and all the resources that I had from the bigger locations and take that to the credit union and provide the services. You know, the reason why I wound up leaving and what was kind of frustrating was that when you look at the bigger financial institutions, they have the money, they have the access, they have the resources. Um, and in this small shop, you know, we weren't able, we couldn't t- take the same type of risk that, you know, a bigger institution, because a, a risk that we take at, at a small credit union could bankrupt us, right? So I, I'll give, give you an example, like, like working at, a, at the bank, uh, at Citibank, I had $45 million under assets, un, assets under management, right? So I managed a $45 million branch at the credit union, I want to say we had $2 million maybe, you know? And so that's a big disparity, even though I'm the CEO of this credit union, but I'm managing $2 million. And so if, if, if I, if I make a, a bunch of bad loans, you know, it, it could really, it could really take us under. So it was a great experience. Uh, but I realized that if you really want to help, you need capital, right? You, you, you need that capital to help. And that's why I decided to kind of go a different direction. Right. So do you remember how many members you had at the time where you grew it to? I want to say it had to be like maybe 2,000, two to 3,000 members we had. Um, you know, I think that once the credit union opened, there was a, a like a lot of people who joined the credit union and had small balances. Uh, but then active, you know, active members, we probably had 500 to 1,000 active. Right. And, you know, I'm just thinking, so, you know, the whole basis of what I want to show people and like take them through this journey is that like financial independence is a possibility. Now, I understand, though, that for some people like that is a far off. And I don't want to say it's not achievable. I never want to say that for people, but it may be a harder uh, uphill battle. And you like directly worked in communities that you saw, like I'm sure you can like um, give examples in general, like how how it costs to be poor. Like it's more. And I saw this great video. I forgot like where I saw it, but it was just like it costs more for like a poor person to be poor because of all the fees and things associated with their banking versus someone, you know, who has the money. I want to talk about that a little bit more. And we specifically talk about financial independence and like, is it really possible for um, all people? And like, we can kind of go back and forth with that. But I just think it's interesting. Is there something that you saw or like something that you realized, like, this is what like people need this, like for in order for people to be successful with their finances, like they need this. Was there something that stood out for you that you're like, wow. Like, oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. This, this is why I enjoy what I do. Right. Because it, w- w- how the song go? Can't nobody tell me nothing, right? <laughs> yeah. You can't tell me anything. Like I'm not. I'm not sitting here from a space of like I didn't grow up in Parsippany, New Jersey. Like right. Like I don't. I've never been to Parsippany. It just sounds. Shout like out nice to Parsippany. Place. I used to work you know over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, it just sounds like a nice place. But I didn't grow up there. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And so, so, so I, I was once somebody who didn't uh, you know who had a poverty mindset lived paycheck to paycheck and couldn't make ends meet but the moment that I started to change my my mindset is when my reality changed right and so I believe wholeheartedly like I like and, and and you know people could believe what they want I believe wholeheartedly because I had both sides I had the side where I didn't make any money and I was struggling and I was complaining and things of that nature. And then I had the side where I'm enjoying life. I live life on my terms. And the only difference was my mindset. It's not money because I'm telling you that I started, I was a banker at 19 years old, right? I was promoted very fast. 
And so I became a VP at the bank at 24 years old. I made a lot of money, but I still lived paycheck to paycheck because at 24, I had not changed my poverty mindset. And so you know, at 24, I think I was making uh, 60 or $70,000 base. Plus I was in a sales role. So I got commissioned. I never had money. Single. I live with my mom still. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I live with my mom still making 60, 70,000 base and still struggling because I still had the poverty mindset. It wasn't until I switched and started thinking different that my circumstances started to change. And so I realized, especially working at, at Queensbridge and other uh, low income areas, is that a lot of people who are in their current circumstance give too much credit to the current circumstance and not the possibility. And because they focus so much on the current circumstance, that's what keeps them at that current circumstance and not allowing them to experience the abundance that is their birthright. Right. And I'm so glad that you like said that was the reason because I think it's the same thing. And the only reason I believe people can't reach their full potential and their wealth, you know, potential is because of mindset. And it's funny because then you'll have like people and I get it. Like I'm not trying to be insensitive to people who can't get out of that mindset because in their reality for them, what it seems like to them is that there, and this is true. There are systematic things. There are a lot of things that, you know, are not, you know, set up for certain people to prosper. But I do believe that especially with all the tools available now, free tools at that, like the podcast and internet and, you know, role models that they can look to and say, wow, this person did this and they're just, just from a background like me that I do think it is possible for anyone if they choose to believe it's possible. And again, where I'm not discounting like people's realities, you know, if they're like have minimum wage jobs and they can't make ends meet. But for that same person, like there's someone who has that situation and has figured out a way to make it better. So, yeah, I totally agree with that. One of the things you said is that you kind of left um, that situation, the, the Queensbridge Housing Credit Union. Was that the job you left on your 30th birthday or another one? No, that was another one. No, so okay. my, so my third, oh man, my 30th, you're going to make me rel relive that. My, my 30th birthday, I had left Chase and I was actually a, uh, uh, I was managing uh, at Carver Federal Savings Bank. It was the largest African-American operated bank in the you country. You literally worked at every bank. <laughs> I feel I, no, like no, you absolutely. mentioned like mad, a lot of banks Everything, <laughs> You know, because it, it, in my search, you know, in my search for fulfillment, right? I love what I did, uh, but I wanted to do it for the right people, right? Um, and so, you know, you know, Jay Z says there must there's much bigger issues in the world I know, but I first had to take care of the world I know, right? And so for me, growing up in in a in, in a low income environment, I always wanted to talk to people who were from that environment. Um, and so yeah, I was I was I was working at Carver Federal Savings Bank at the time, managing the main branch on 125th Street. Uh, and it's funny because everything happens for a reason. Um, at the time when I was doing that, um, was when I released my first book, you know, mind, right, money, right, 10 laws of financial freedom. Um, I released that in 2009. So actually in December is going to be my 10 year anniversary, but I released the, I released the book. Uh, I was getting a lot of attention. I was doing writing on, in magazines, um, hot 97, uh, WBLS. I was getting a lot of love and, and a lot of attention. And the funny thing about it is that my boss at the time was intimidated by the fact that I was getting all of this attention and still working at the bank. 
he thought that this attention would take me away from my duties at the bank, which in fact, it would just enhance it. Like it was just a great uh, thing to be like, hey, oh, this guy writes this book on financial freedom, but he's he's also, you know, managing, you know, Carver Federal Students Bank. And so he didn't see that vision. Um, and so, you know, th- he just put a lot of pressure on me to a point where I said, you know what? I gotta, I gotta choose, you know, I'm making, I'm, you know, I got all this, this fame, you know, I, I got all this notoriety. I'm just going to quit my job. And so cold Turkey, I just walked in one day and said, you know what? Um, I'm about to turn 30. Um, and so I'm, you know, I'm going to quit. And so I threw myself a retirement party. <laughs> <laughs> I had a, uh, you know, I went to the 4040 club and, uh, and I threw a retirement party. So if anybody follows me on Facebook, uh, if you go to my albums, you'll see, I, I leave it, I leave it up there as a, as a reminder but I, yeah, I threw myself a retirement party. Uh, and, you know, I guess for the first few months, I did well. You know, I did well. Uh, I was able to to kind of manage on my own. Uh, but the problem was, you know, as an entrepreneur, I didn't know this. It was my first time as an entrepreneur. I didn't know that, you know, sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. Like, it, like, like it's not it's not a steady check. Like, with, with you know, when you got a nine to five, I don't care what happens. If you don't meet your goal, whatever, you still going to have that check. It, it stays like this. And so as your bills are coming in, you could manage your bills the right way because you know exactly how much money you're getting. And even if you on a bonus structure, you know, at minimum, this is what's coming in and the bonus could be extra. When you're an entrepreneur, you can make a lot of money one month. And then the next month it's like, the desert, you know, and that's what happened. You know, like I was making a lot of money, you know, I'll do like a speaking gig or, or I'll get a contract to teach, uh, you know, to teach financial literacy. But then, you know, I didn't realize that there were, there were like, uh, downtimes as an entrepreneur, especially as a finance person, I want to say starting in May to like September, like you, you scrambling for gigs, you know, at the time, like it's like, you know, because majority of my income was from speaking and doing workshops with kids, right? And so nobody's booking a speaker, nobody's doing workshops. And so May, June, July, August, like for four months, I'm like, what's going on? Um, and so I got to a point where like I couldn't afford my mortgage. The house was on foreclosure. So I had to short sell it. Like I had to, to what was it? Was it sale in lieu of foreclosure? Like I had to, yeah. you know, I had to do a short sale. Um, my car was in the process of getting repoed. Like it was a lot going on at the time. And just to kind of paint the picture, I want everybody to understand how embarrassing it was because at that time though, I am still the hottest I've ever been. I'm still doing television. I'm still, I'm, I'm teaching people about managing money while every night I go home in a car that's about to be repoed, looking at this sign that says for sale and like, man, they're about to come get my house. Uh, my daughter was two years old at the time. I'm like sitting in my car. Sometimes I cried. I'm like, I'll be honest. Sometimes I cried like, yo, how did you get yourself into this? So can I ask in terms of like, how do you got yourself into it? Was it a man, uh, a matter of overspending, not being mindful of your, like what was coming in or was it literally just like, there was just so, so, so much inconsistencies with income. Yeah. Inconsistencies. I just, I, I just could, I just wasn't making as much as I was making as a banker. Right. So as a banker, I was making six figures my first year as an entrepreneur and it's, 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 it's all relative, right? My first year as an entrepreneur, I probably made 60 grand, right? Which is great money. Like anybody says that, oh, wow, I made 60 grand. 
Well, was that gross or net? Because that's the thing with the entrepreneur. It's like you could bring in 60, but like, ta- you know, taxes, expenses, what your take home pay after 60 right. is like much less than that. Exa- exactly. And that's the point, right? The point was that I made 60. I didn't bring in 60. Right. But then even if I kept 60,000, that was still not enough to manage, you know, like I had a mortgage, I had car note, my daughter was, you know what I mean? Like, like my daughter had, uh, it wasn't daycare, you know, like you paid for, yeah. right. And, and, and if anybody who have kids, that's ex- like, I, we were paying a mortgage, like my, my daughter's, uh, daycare or whatever was like $1,200 a month, like 300 a week or something like that. Like it was ridiculous. So you're like, man. And so when you add all these things up and you look at how much you're paying for it, it wasn't overspending. It was just the fact that I wasn't making enough. Uh, and even as we started to cut back, there was just, you know, then things started to get late and then it just became this, this, this thing. It was just spiraling out of control that I had to kind of, you know, get back control of. Right. So how did you get back in control of that? I went back to work. (laughs) I went back to work. You know, um, I had a great, great resume, great experience as a banker. Uh, I mean, everything happens for a reason. The funny thing about it was that during this time, right, I'm I'm struggling or whatever the case may be. Um, I had a book signing at a store in Harlem, a uh, 125th year human bookstore. They, they're no longer there. But um, I had a book signing and one of my old bosses, right, it all comes full circle. One of my old bosses from where? Blockbuster Videos, Edwin Centron, fast shout to Edwin. He came to the book signing. He was an operations manager at Citibank, right? And so he came to the book signing, saw what I was doing, and was like, man, this is awesome. You know, I love what you're doing. He said, yo, I'm at Citibank right now, and um, we usually have these, you have people come in and talk to the, to, to the clients about financial education. So maybe there's a way to kind of get your books into the fold, about whatever the case may be. Um, long story short, I had met with his boss, and we were talking about, you know, me being from Harlem and my background and trying to find a way for me to implant my, my, my book in there. Then he said to me, he said, I just want to throw this idea. The boss said to me, I just want to throw this idea to you that I have a branch on 145th Street and 7th Avenue. It's right, you know, in a low income area uh, that needs a manager. You're from the neighborhood. You know, the you know, the folks. Would you be interested in it? In the back of my mind, I'm like, hell yeah, you know, <laughs> right. But I didn't want to seem desperate or whatever. So I was like, let me think about it or whatever the case may be. Long story short, I managed a branch at Citibank. Changed my life, right? And so I'm going to give y'all a, a, a thing about how when things happen to you, don't necessarily look at it as a bad thing because it could be a good thing, right? And so let me tell you, let me tell you how this decision became a blessing. So now the house that I owned was a two-family house, right, in the Bronx, in Wakefield, in the Wakefield area of the Bronx, right? And at the time, my mother-in-law lived with us. So it was, you know, my, my wife and I, my, my daughter, and then my mother-in-law had the bottom apartment. Um, and so because, you know, we were going through the whole fo- foreclosure thing, when that happened, my mother-in-law moved out, right? Because she's not going to wait for the, ho- the home to be foreclosed. She's going to find an apartment, a place to live. So she moves out. I wound up getting a job now, right? And at the same time, uh, uh, President Obama had the Making of Home Affordable Act, right? Because my home was now underwater, right? So like I owed more than the house was worth. I wound up applying for the Making Home Affordable where they would forgive me for any amount that's underwater, right? 
And so now, you know, I might have been paying like a like I don't know exuberant uh, exuberant amount in my mortgage, but now that I had the job, I was able to afford the mortgage. But when they 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 remodified the loan, they wound up remodifying it at a price that that was really really low, and then now I have this extra apartment that I now rent out to a tenant who pays me what my mortgage was. And so instead of now having to use this money to pay my mortgage, I had my tenant paying my mortgage and the money I would have paid for more, you know, for a mortgage, you know, my wife and I just started to, to stack and save. And that was the moment, the light bulb moment that real that I realized that man, I was doing it wrong. I need to change my relationship with money. Instead of working hard for money, I need money to work hard for me. And I realized that residual income, doing something one time or or passive income was the way to go. And that's what changed my life. Uh, that's what allowed me to go from Citibank to the, the credit union. But then deci- when I decided to leave this time, it was like, all right, I'm good now because I still have this tenant. I started to, to write more books. I started to do things that created residual income for me. And now I know that at minimum, I get money coming in without without me physically having to work. And so anything I physically have to work for uh, is is bonus in order for me to stack or to buy more assets or create more things that will give me the residual income. Right, right. Now, I mean, that's an amazing like just story. And there's so many lessons here because what I love is, I mean, I'm in a situation where I left my nice, comfortable job. And I don't know if before you left that first job at 30, like if it seems like you just like went in and was just like, all right, I'm out. Like it wasn't really like you maybe planned like in advance for it. But in general, though, um, I always say like the worst case scenario is that you go back and get a job, right? Like, I mean, and hopefully, you know, you haven't burned bridges, you're still qualified in your field, you kept up with uh, people in your field and what it is, because I always say the worst case scenario for me is if we you know we can't make this work, that I would have to go um, get a job. But I I love the fact that you brought it full circle. Like you said, how things worked out in your favor. And like you said, things don't happen to people. They happen for you if you can realize that. And so when with every disaster or roadblock, there's a lesson or opportunity. And you have to see the opportunity within that obstacle. So I think that's like the, a great story. So, all right. So now you are you have your the job, stable income coming in. Now you decide to take another leap back into full-time entrepreneurship because this time you're more prepared, right? You got that baseline income coming in. You're using real estate as a means to cover a cost. So what was the plan this time? Did you say to yourself, all right, I'm this time I'm going full out and I'm prepared for this leap? What was your thought process? You know, I, I always knew that I didn't want to work for someone because long-term it wouldn't give me the financial freedom that I wanted. Um, and so this time around, I said, you know, how can I position myself in a way to not need a job, you know? And so having the real estate, being able to write other books and, and my other books started to do well, I really just looked at my number. I, I looked at the number. I said, how much money do I need a month at minimum uh, to manage my expenses? How much money am I bringing on a passive basis to meet those expenses does it match? Or if I take this leap, can I make it match? Um, and that's what happened. So, you know, at the time I took the leap, it, it didn't match yet. You know, it wasn't like, you know, if my expenses were $5,000 a month, it wasn't like I was making 5,000 passively, but if my expenses were 5,000, I was probably making maybe 
2000 or 3000 and so i said to myself well i'm making 2000 3000 passively and i have a job so imagine if i left the job and was able to focus 100% could i make up that difference um and and so it it was it was definitely another leap but i felt more comfortable because at minimum i knew that i that my tenant paid my mortgage and so i knew i would i would always have a place to stay um, and the other expenses, if it ever got to a space where I couldn't afford it, I could just cut back on some of those things. And so I decided to make the leap and working full time, I was able to kind of make up make up that difference. Right. And I'm sure you prepared, like you said, you thought more about it this time around. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you knew what it was like. You probably didn't want to go back. So you mentioned you have a few books. And what I love about your books is that you definitely related to hip hop, you related to culture, things that I feel like definitely relate to people. We had one about Jay-Z. You had a Jay-Z book. Yeah, I had the wake up call, Financial Lessons Learned from 444. You had a Kanye West book. Yes, Make it, Making Sense of Kanye. <laughs> and what is the one I'm missing? No, no. So I, ha- I have one that's coming out, which is called Hustlenomics. And so it's it's based on Nipsey Hussle, uh, you know, God rest his soul. Uh, he was somebody prolific who had a message of ownership and financial independence. And I think that his untimely demise doesn't stop the marathon. And I think that there's a responsibility of people who love his work uh, to continue his work. And so in that vein, uh, I decided to to write a book that's going to take his lyrics, take his lessons um, and really put it in a how to guide. So if anybody who loves him, who followed him, who wants to know, okay, so how do you create ownership and, and own your masters. How do you do that? I'll, I'll give that, that guy. Right. Right. So you definitely studied like a lot of rappers and their lyrics and, uh, the rappers that you do profile, they were business, they're businessmen. Absolutely. And, um, smart with the business. What's like a, there's something you could take from everyone you you have researched or followed, like just a couple guiding principles that you feel like, even if you're not a rapper, <laughs> you can apply to your life. Until you own your own, you can't be free. Right. And that and, and that Jay-Z said that and, and I got the keys. And it's just a fact that if you don't have ownership, there's no way you can have freedom. If you are working for somebody's if, if you're working for somebody and even if you're making good money, they still control your freedom. And so ownership is what's going to, to help you become financially free, whether it's ownership and in intellectual property, whether it's ownership in real estate, whether it's owning you know, life insurance, whether it's owning stocks and bonds, whether it's owning a business, it's ownership that's going to going to ultimately create that freedom that you're looking for. Um, and so that's the biggest message. And even if you're you know looking at Jay-Z, Nipsey Hussle, Kanye, all of it is about ownership. It's all about using your influence to now create uh, something that you own, something that people want. Uh, you know, you're solving some type of problem. And in solving that problem, that's what creates the wealth for you. Right. And so on the podcast, we had a black roundtable discussion on FI and um, Kirsten from Rich and Regular, she had said this like powerful, just like statement that, you know, literacy has been a means for freedom for black people. Well, not just literacy, education. So financial literacy and education is like part of that. But before that, it was just literacy, like us learning how to read. And, you know, um, it was a means of freedom. Now it's like needs to be education around finances. And so it's really important 
that, like you said, people understand that this idea of ownership and it doesn't necessarily. So I will say that even owning a home might not be the way for everyone, especially if you're not prepared to own a home. Right. I mean, we're not just talking about home ownership, but I'm just talking about like just I think just ownership of self and the actions you take and your responsibility to self to make the actions where you stand fully firm in control of your life versus I don't feel in control. And I feel like when people have control over their finances, they can make these solid decisions, these informed decisions around what they choose to do, how they choose to pursue their freedom. I agree. I agree. So you have since moved to Atlanta. Yes. ATL. <laughs> the, the Wakanda. That's, that's it's Wakanda down here for real. Right. And so just curious, was that more of a like a strategic move for your business or you figured, OK, it's a lower cost of living area uh, and let me move from New York? What was the thought process around that? You know, at this stage of my life, I move based on how I feel, you know, and so if something doesn't feel right, I don't do it. If it feels right, I don't even need the full explanation. If it feels right, then I'll do it. It was something that we weren't planning for. It, you know, in fact, the next iteration of my career is financial journalism. So I love, you know, being on radio. I love television. Um, and so I, I had actually got accepted into a master's program for social journalism. And I was, you know, I was going to do that in New York when I got an opportunity where a gentleman was in my neighborhood walking around. Uh, he looked like he was a, a politician. He was talking to people. And I, I just stopped because I wanted to hear what he w was saying. And he was a, he wound up being a real estate agent. And he said, hey, if, if I could sell your home um, and get top dollar for it, would you sell it? We, you know, we didn't have any plans of selling it. So I was like, no. Uh, but we, you know, my wife and I had just uh, done a lot of work in the house. Um, and so we, we, we put like maybe 30 grand in, in the attic because, you know, we had, you know, my son was just born and we needed more space. And so we turned the attic to like this, you know, it was beautiful. We did the kitchen over. So long story short, we was like, I wonder how much we could get for the house now that we did all this work. And so we had our neighbor who had her house, you know, up for sale, but it didn't sell because we thought she overpriced it. It was on, you know, on the market for at least like 10 months. And so we're like, yo, let's just put it on, 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 you know, on the market. Let's just see what people would offer us so we could get an idea of what it's worth. I kid you not. We did that. We got an offer for exactly what we asked for in six days. And so now it was the, it was the first time that we thought like, whoa, like, should we, should we really take this offer? Should we move? Like, like, why are we still here? And, you know, luckily my wife's in HR. And so she, you know, she has a, her own consultant business. So she was working from home as a financial educator. I work from home. And so we're like, we really don't have to be in New York because a lot of what I do, you know, I travel, I make money speaking at colleges and I travel a lot. And so I'm like, maybe this is something for us to do. And so we literally looked at two, two places, Atlanta and Charlotte, because it was a lower cost of living. And we said, let's go spend a week in each place. And then we'll decide what's what uh, we went to Atlanta. We spent the week in Atlanta. We saw that we can get like I can, we can li literally live like Kings and Queens. Like, you know, when, when I tell you that the house that we bought, we wound up buying in Atlanta was half the price of our home in New York and triple the size. And it was just hard. It was just hard to see that, to witness that and to know the possibility and, and, and get stuck to a place just because that's where you're born. Yeah. Um, and so it was a no brainer. We spent the week in Atlanta. 
And then we did, we was like, all right, let's just do it. And so we wound up selling the home. Literally, uh, we sold the home September 12th and drove down the next, you know, the next day. And, you know, we got to Atlanta September 14th, closed on our new home in October 14th. And mm. it's been great ever since. Right. And that's that's amazing because I feel like a lot of people and I, you know, I'm guilty of this too. I'm, I'm someone who likes like comfort and kind of my surroundings and knowing what I know. And so is my husband. And I toyed around with the idea of what would this, what would our life look like if we moved somewhere else that was not so expensive? And one of the factors for us is, you know, we have three kids and it's nice to be around family because that's pretty huge for us, especially because they're so young with that kind of like support system. But for people on like this journey to financial freedom and independence, just simply moving, you know, to a lower cost living area can help tremendously. So I think it's one of those things people like, even though it might be a scary thought, it's like, you know, start planting the seeds. It could be possible that this can really change the trajectory of what your journey looks like. And of course you have to make sure you have the job opportunity where you're going. But in general, I think um, it's something that a lot of people should think more about. I'm a big believer in the law of attraction and energy and, and attracting what you want as an entrepreneur. I would say that if you are looking for financial independence, that going to a place that ha- has a lower cost of living is actually more beneficial to you because you remove the struggle, right? If you live in a place that has a high cost of living, now you have to worry about making money to sustain your lifestyle. Or what you can do is say, you know what, let me remove that struggle. And I just want to say for me, removing that thought process, because you know, my wife and I were making good money in New York, but it felt like we were hustling, like we couldn't really see the fruits of our labor. And so now removing that, you know, coming to a place where, you know, I'm not the only big house on the block, right? Like, and so I, I'm constantly seeing these big homes. I'm constantly seeing abundance and it's at a cost that I could afford. It open, it opens my mind to be, a, to, to be able to attract more abundance. And I kid you not, like, like I, I love to give examples, right? If anybody has been watching my journey, 2019 has absolutely been my year, meaning that I've had some great opportunities. Like I was on stage with TD Jakes. I've spoken at big conferences. I've gotten my first five-figure check to speak. And there's other things that I can't even speak about yet that's just like happening that I believe I was able to attract because that that worry of or that that hustle and bustle wasn't there for me. And it's happened only since I've been in Atlanta. And in fact, it's not even like it's happening in Atlanta, right? Like I was in DC last week, I'm going to Charlotte. So I'm still, so it's not even like, oh, because I'm in Atlanta, I have all these opportunities in Atlanta. No, I haven't even really scratched the surface in Atlanta yet because I'm getting all these opportunities. So I say that, and I give this example to say, I don't want people to think that I'm just kind of talking from this, esoteric, this high place. And, 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 and I'm speaking from theory. No, I'm saying that if you remove worry, stress, if you remove that from your, from the equation, all that is left is your imagination and your ability to create and you become a, more of a conscious creator. And I've been able to create some awesome opportunities. And this is just the beginning. Yeah. 
this is good. This is this is what I want people to hear because this you become a conduit for abundance and it's like you said. So this whole financial independence movement, retire early movement. I like more, more focusing on the financial independence part because retiring early is cool. When I say it or when I said it, it was more retiring from a corporate job because in in essence, I believe we all want to work, you know, even if it's, you know, volunteering, like people like need to work, have something to do. But I feel like the essence of financial independence, like in, the, in, or, in order to reach it, like the true definition of it, if there's a true definition of being able to have your expenses covered by your assets, is that the best thing you could do is either you make a lot of money and you grow your assets as, as big as you can, your investment assets or just your passive income assets, and or you reduce your expenses. So geo arbitrage, moving, traveling, living in a low cost of living place is like essential for a lot of people to even reach like this financial independence goal because the less you have to worry about the less baseline expenses you have to worry about where you still are happy is the less you need to then save and invest up to get to this financial independence number so it is something that even if maybe you're not ready to move right now when you forward think about what your life could look like in 10 15 years when you are ready to quit your job or do something else and start your own business whatever that looks like Think about how you can possibly reduce some of these fixed expenses and your living expenses where you live. Mortgage and rent is typically the highest for everyone. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So what are your thoughts on the FIRE movement? So the financial independent retire early movement are, is this something that you're consciously working towards? Do you have like a number that you think, okay, if I reach this, I know baseline we're good and everything else is like, you know, I'm just working and keeping building up this legacy. And do you think it's possible for all people? Absolutely. So, so yes, it's 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 something that 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 I've consciously thought about, and I, you know, right now, that number is based on how much money I make passively, right? And so, you know, I look at my expenses right now and then add some, right? Because there there's some experiences that I I do want to. You know, there's some things that I want to experience that I haven't yet, you know, um, that I that I put, you know, that that I have into account. Um, and so I have my current number, which 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 now I meet. Right. So right now, you know, I would say I'm uh, financially independent. And it's funny because financially finan- financial independence is relative to what you want your life to look like. Right. Right. And so for like right now, you know, I'm financially independent because I make enough money passively to manage all of my baseline expenses, you know, and, and I, and I, you know, I don't need much, but I do recognize that there are, and this is just my preference, right? I do recognize that, you know, there, there's some, some toys I want, you know, whether it's, you know, some cars or, you know, whether it's getting a bigger house and living in a gated community, right? There's, 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 uh, yeah. you know, some, some things there that, that I want to experience, but also, um, you know, as the first uh, financially independent person in my family, I do also think about my family, right? So think about my nieces, my nephews, um, and, and ways that I can kind of, you know, help them. And so I have a baseline number, but then I have this number that would get me all my toys and things, but then I got this number that will, you know, take care of the family. And so, um, you know, I I have different levels that I'm working towards, uh, regardless of what level I, I reach, you know, it's, it's still, I'm grateful and appreciative of, of everything that I have, but I do believe that financial independence is available and, um, can happen for anybody. I just think that 
we need to not look at that big number. Instead, break it down like like I just broke it down, right? Because I feel like where people, uh, you know, where, where people take a misstep is that they're like, oh, I'm gonna be a millionaire, right? Like I like I'll use that for me for example. Like I look at like uh, social media and people are like, yo, 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 I'm gonna be a millionaire, like, and then, and then focus on million, 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 million. And what happens is that as they're focusing on million, when they can't pay a, a two hundred dollar bill, it now frustrates them to focus on million because how am I focused? I can never make a million because I can't even make pay my my my, my sprint bill, right? Right. But I'm saying that if you if you just said okay, forget the billion right now. What is it? What is the basics that you need? Right. Oh, you know what? If I started a business and I made an extra thousand dollars a month, right? If I make twelve thousand dollars net, then I would be good. Then make that your first goal. Make that twelve thousand dollars first. And now when you are able to experience twelve thousand dollars extra, you're you're living the life. Now you say, you know what? It would be good if I had a Mercedes Benz and it takes me this amount of money to do that. Or it would be good if I was able to travel, you know, at least two, two, two months. I need an extra 12,000 to do that. And then you add that layer. I think that, that when we break it down that way, we will realize that there's different levels of financial independence and we can reach those levels if we take it one step at a time. Instead of trying to build a wall, right? So like Will Smith had this example of how his father owned the store and told him and his brother to rebuild this wall. And they looking at the wall, like it's impossible to build a wall. His father said, listen, stop focusing on the wall, focus on one brick at a time. Make sure that this is the best possible brick that you can make it. And once you make it the best possible brick, you move on to the next brick and the next brick and the next brick. And eventually you'll have a wall, right? And I think that's what we need to do. Stop focusing on the big wall, focus on like, what is that brick? What is, what can you do today to get to this first level? Do that, then focus on what gets you to the next level. Are there going to be times where you skip levels? Absolutely, right? I might start here at, at level one, and because I'm focused and I'm doing what I'm doing, abundance comes in, and now I'm at level five. I didn't have to go to level two, three, four. That's cool. Yep. But at least start at a space where you're, you know, it, it seems achievable to you because, you know, the, the, the truth of the matter is that you're not going to attract what you cannot, what you don't believe in. Mm -hmm. And so for me, even being introduced to the law of attraction, when it first started, I couldn't attract a hundred thousand dollars. That wasn't, that wasn't real for me, but I could attract an opportunity or I could attract, you know, a person or I could attract, you know, I could attract small things. Then when I was able to attract the small things, I was like, man, I wonder if I could attract. And then I started going bigger and bigger to the point like now, like I know I'm like, all right, I'm a conscious creator. I could create anything. Right. And I believe I'm anything like there's no limits to that, you know? Right. Well, because you and you're building up your confidence in that. And like you said, it's really like the belief. And we're not talking about like some, oh, just believe it and sit down and it comes to you. We're not talking about that. You got to put in the work um, to do it, but you have to believe in that kind of work. And yes, I totally agree in breaking things down and it's good to hold the vision, right? It's good to hold the vision of what financial independence looks like and how much money you need to do that, but break it down into smaller steps, achievable steps. And so for some people that's getting out of debt first, that then that's going to be investing and, st and saving up, you know, uh, 
some fund, a FU fund, maybe they want to leave their job. So they need to be able to like save up money to do that. And so there are different levels where you will then be able to say, wow, check that off. And it doesn't feel like, well, I'm doing all this work and I'm not, I'm not at a million, two million dollars yet. Right. So I love, I love, love that advice. Thank you. So now where can people keep up with you, follow your journey, see all the amazing things you're up to? Yes. So uh, my website is a wealth of information. You'll get everything that I'm working on on my website. If you go to IamAshCash.com, uh, and I'm also very active on social media. So if you go to uh, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, my handle is IamAshCash. Yeah, and I think everything everything is there. You'll be able to see everything that's going on. And I will link every everything in the show notes for people. So Ash Cash, thank you so much again for coming on the show and sharing this wealth information with the journeyers. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Thank you for, for everything that you're doing because uh, we need more of this information out there. I appreciate you. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ash Cash. I hope you right now, after you listen to this, you take some action in your life. As I always say, I love that you get motivated. I love that you get encouraged because that's the goal to give you that fuel to keep you going. But now act. Do one thing today that's going to put you closer to your goals. Act, journeyers. You can do it. Now, again, if you want the episode show notes, go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 115. Also, make sure you're following me on social media. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Journey to launch. I love seeing you're listening, that you're sharing it out with your network. My favorite messages are when you say, I sent this episode to everyone I know. <laughs> or, you know, I shared this with a coworker or I shared this with, you know, my partner or my friend because this is how we get the message out there. Just think about how more encouraging and exciting it will be when you have someone in your real life who's on this journey with you. And of course, even if you right now don't have that in-life support system, you have me. <laughs> you have this podcast. You have your internet journeyers and friends rooting for you. So keep on going. Okay, so until next week, keep on journeying, journeyers. Journeyers.